morning. morning. We are in the infamous chapter three of John. Please find your way there. Nicodemus has gone at night to be taught by Jesus. The, the, the teacher of Israel has gone to a Jewish carpenter to be taught. So follow along, follow along as, as Phil reads our text today. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Thank you, brother. Nicodemus is following the light that God had given him. He's been observing Jesus. He has seen the signs that Jesus has performed. He had apparently listened to the words that Jesus had, had spoken, and he comes to the conclusion, this is the man I need to talk to. Jesus is the man who has the answers to my questions, he would say. He, is, he has the key that unlocks the door to the kingdom of God. So he goes to Jesus at night. Pop quiz. In Greek, Nicodemus's name means what? Well, I had to copy and paste my answer on that. <laughs> Excellent. I was thinking how that was going to help you in life, and I came up with this. Maybe, maybe it will be the, the final question of Bible trivia, and you're going to answer it, and you're going to be the winner. But that's all I came up with, so I don't know how that's going to help you. The kingdom of God is on the mind of Nicodemus. He has been studying the word of God for a long time. He has been worshiping God in the temple for a long time. He was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And we have to make note of that, because this is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Well, the Sanhedrin was composed of leading scholars, the best of the best. You know, these guys are the top guns there. The Sanhedrin functioned as the supreme religion, supreme religious, legislative, and educational body of the Jews. So Nicodemus was the real deal. As the scripture said, says, he was, quote, the teacher of Israel. Now, 
I bring that up because last week we talked about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we are to keep Jesus at the center of it all. We do not try to manipulate anyone into believing. We do not make false promises about God to, to trick someone into believing. We just proclaim Jesus. Amen. Because it is Jesus who saves. Now, as we talk about Nicodemus and what an amazing leader he was, I want you to see this. He was famous. He was an influencer of the day. Just checking. <laughs> he was involved with politics. He was a leader. People trusted him. They looked up to him. They respected him. So if a man in this position became a follower of Jesus, you might think, well, there, there must have been a huge movement of Jewish people who would also, be, who would also become a follower of Jesus. No recording of that happening. Didn't happen. The point I'm making is it's not man that saves. It's not the status of, of a man that draws people to Christ. It is the word that does that, no matter who you are. I've heard people say, you know, if Michael Jordan or if any other famous person you want to put in there would come to Jesus, I bet thousands of people would come to saving faith. I'm like, no, no. Most of the time, those people end up being followers of people, not of Jesus. But to be honest here, if, if a famous person, and you can look back and think about this, if a famous person comes to Jesus, usually the world ends up turning on them. Yep. Happens time after time. Nicodemus was, the, was one of the most influential leaders in Israel, and yet there was not this mass exodus of people who became followers of Jesus just because he believed. And notice, I'm not saying whether Michael Jordan or anybody else is saved. I'm not doing, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is people do not usually come to faith because of the distinguished list of people who are believers. That doesn't draw them in. Someone who, has, who is famous may have a larger audience to proclaim the word to, but that's the only advantage they have. Salvation comes from the hearing of God's word. And that's the challenge for all of us. Be prepared, as, as uh, Joseph, and then his name, the goat. Be prepared, he says. Be prepared to give the gospel. Be prepared to share Jesus. Be prepared to explain salvation. <laughs> One of the purposes of the church is to equip the saints so that the saints can take the word to the lost, uh, to a lost and dying world. So let's make sure we're, we're equipped. Be ready to answer the question if asked. Why do you believe what you believe? Don't say, well, I'm not sure how to tell you what I believe. I'm going to go get my pastor and he can explain it to you better. No, no, it doesn't work that way. We are all to be ready. If, if our salvation means as much as it should, then we should be prepared to share it with others. And, you know, you heard me say this before. You're nervous or whatever. Yeah, sure, that happens. We're human. But just begin with your testimony. Begin there. That's a great starting point. You know, we heard over a dozen testimonies at the baptism that we celebrated the other week. The gospel could not have been clearer. Time after time, we heard how God had begun a work in their hearts. They were like Nicodemus. They all knew something was not right in their hearts. They had begun to see the sin that they had in their hearts, and they were not sure how to deal with it. And all they needed was someone to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, to put it all together. 
And that's where the equipped body of Christ comes in. We share with them the good news. The good news is that there is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him. But we all have sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. Jesus rose from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. God now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. And if we, and if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, then we are born again into a new life. Be prepared. Tell them about the new life, the eternal life with God. Tell them about the result is born again. We love that statement. Verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot seek the kingdom of God. And, you know, last week we talked about how man cannot contribute anything to being born again, just as in our physical birth. We contributed nothing. We contribute nothing to our spiritual birth, which stirred a question in my sharpest, youngest son's mind. James, like a good Berean, was searching the scriptures and he had some questions for me. He said, he said, you said we cannot contribute anything to our spiritual birth and that it is all about God. But don't we have to accept Jesus? Don't we have to repent or, or don't we turn from our sins? So the question really is, is repentance a work that an unsaved person does to get saved? Well, we have to look at what repentance is and we will. But first, first keep this verse in your mind. John 6, Jesus says this. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. We have to always keep that verse in mind in our mind as we wrestle with the thought of what is my part in salvation. So when it comes to repentance and faith, they, they are really two sides of the same coin. Repentance is turning from sin or, or better changing of the mind. Faith is turning to or trusting in and relying on Christ. So repentance is not a work any more than faith is. We simply renounce our sin and rely on Christ. Remember, God draws us in, who reveals our need to repent. If it were not, if it were not for the Spirit of God, who gives the sinner a personal understanding of his spiritual state, then we would not be able to see sin for what it is. Romans 3.11 says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So no one, not even one, seeks after God on his own. It is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8, that changes the mind about sin. It changes the mind about a need for a savior. And it changes the mind in order to seek salvation. So when a repentant person changes his mind about sin, that change of the mind should lead one to, to turning from sin and turning to Jesus. 
That would be, as I say, following the light that God has given you. So repentance is a change of the mind, and such repentance is something only God can enable. See that John 6.44, Acts 11.18, Timothy 2.25. So then my smartest, youngest son, James, asked this question. Does that mean we're all robots? Great question. Do, do we have free will or is every move we make predestined? Is everyone just doing, doing what we are programmed to do? And what we have here is, is the big debate or disagreement between Calvinism and Arminianism. And like I said before, you will give yourself a big old headache trying to figure this one out. Did I choose Jesus or did Jesus choose me? Free will or robots? Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. That's for the other people. A, a lot of hours of life has been consumed debating these questions. So I want to give you a couple statements and then we're going to move on. One, Paul taught both. Man has a responsibility to respond, and yet it is all of God. Two, Jesus taught both. We saw this at the end of chapter two. Jesus did not entrust himself to the sign seekers because he knew what was in their hearts. It was because of their hearts they did not seek Jesus. And he said no one comes to him unless they are drawn by the Father. So both are taught in Scripture. And here's a good point to remember. The word does not try to reconcile the two. You hear that? The scriptures do not try to reconcile the two. They just taught, they're taught as facts. Do you remember last week when I asked, who are the ones who understand what born again means? And the answer was the ones who are born again. They understand that. Well, do you know who are the ones who believe in Calvinism? They are the ones who have been born again. They can look back and go, yeah, that's what I believe right now. You have heard me say this before. It's like this. I said, yes, I accept the free gift of salvation. And it was at that exact moment that I understood what born again means. And it was at that moment that I understood that it was all of God's doing. And I had nothing to do with it. I knew I was not seeking God. It was God that gave me a light to follow. And that led me to be born again. Throughout scripture, when it comes to salvation, it is all of God. But when someone ends up in damnation, it's because they rejected God. So what do we do with all of that? We search our hearts and make sure we're born again. And if we know that we know we are a new creation, that we are born again, then we spend our life worshiping, serving, and praising God Almighty, sharing the good news because salvation is of God and we are to be forever grateful. Amen. Amen. We spend the rest of our lives worshiping the one true living God. That's what gets us started, the calling of God. So let's walk on through our text. Jesus said in verse 3, Truly, true, verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. As we saw last week, this is a call for worship, not a call for evangelism. And Nicodemus, unlike many others, could not make sense of that call. Why, why, why could he not you know, do that? 
Well, 1 Corinthians 2.14 gives us the answer right that in your margins. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. You see that? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That was Nicodemus. Even though he's sitting right in front of God himself, he can't make sense of this teaching. Nicodemus is an excellent example of a lost person who cannot understand the spiritual things. He, he can't see, he can't get in his mind that it takes an act of God in order for one to become a child of God. He, he, he cannot comprehend that it takes an act of God and God alone for one to be born again. It's foolish to think that it takes an act of God and God alone for anyone to become a new creation, especially for a Pharisee. But when anyone truly, truly understands the truth that Jesus taught, they can't help but to worship God because it is no longer foolishness to them. Amen. So Nicodemus is working his way through this so-called foolishness. He's trying to make sense of it all, but he can't. He has a couple problems. He's spiritually uh, uh, discerned, uh, discerned, but, but you know, he, he's looking for what man can do. He's not thinking above. And another problem is, is that he does not have a true understanding of the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about here. You see, when they heard the word, words kingdom of God, they, they usually uh, thought about God's sovereign rule over all of his creation. You know, when they would hear kingdom of God, they would think how, how God is established on his throne in the heavens and that he sovereignly rules over all of it. They're looking at the, the great big picture. But Jesus is not referring to the universal kingdom here. And I believe that's why Nicodemus is struggling. Jesus is speaking specifically of the kingdom of salvation here. That is the spiritual realm where those who have been born again by divine power through faith now live under the rulership of King Jesus. Now, Nicodemus and the rest of his fellow Jews eagerly anticipated that, that glorious uh, realm. But as we have seen in our study of the Gospel of Mark, they all thought that by being descendants of Abraham, observing the law, and performing external religious rituals, particularly circumcision, they that they would automatically be put in that kingdom. That's where they had put their trust. And that's why Nicodemus was so surprised when Jesus said, all of you must be born again. Here's Nicodemus, a descendant of Abraham. He was a part of God's covenant people, born a Jew. No wonder he had a surprised look on his face when Jesus said, all of them must be born again. He's like, I'm a Jew. I'm a faithful Pharisee. And I, I need to be born again. He would not have been so surprised if Jesus had said, well, all those Gentiles are the ones that needed to be born again in order to see the kingdom. He would have said, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But not a descendant of Abraham. Gentiles, yes. But the Jews do not need to be born again. So, so you can see with Nicodemus here, there's a lot of hurdles they had to get over to get where he needed to be. 
And the good news is, is Jesus is just walking him right down the track, one right after the other, just simply putting things before him. And, the, and also the good news is Nicodemus is following the light that Jesus is giving him. So, so his response is, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Clearly, he was not able to make the connections at this time to what Jesus had said. Listen, Nicodemus was an educated man. He knows that a man can't, cannot be physically born again when, he, when he's old. He, he knows that, but his question conveys his confusion. <clears throat> you know, he, he, he's, he's contemplating the impossibility of Christ's statement, and he's just trying to find an answer. He, he's confused at that moment. So Jesus answers him in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, so, so Jesus just gives them a little more to chew on. He's giving them more, more insight of the scriptures here. Now, now, there's a lot of talk about what Jesus meant when he said born of water and spirit. Some see two births here, one natural, the other spiritual. Others see a reference to baptism. Many say that the, the phrase is a reference to Jewish ceremonial washings, which, which being born of the spirit transcends. Some say it's the living water that is involved here that we will see later in John. So what do we do here? We go with what we do know, right? We go with what we do know. We know that Nicodemus did not have the, the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. He was a scholar when it comes to the word of God. And since Jesus expected Nicodemus to understand this truth, it must have been something with which he was familiar. So if we look in the Old Testament, we can see that water and spirit often refer symbolically to spiritual renewing and cleansing. Write this verse in your margins, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 7. We've heard this many times, but that's where the mind of Nicodemus should have gone when Jesus spoke this. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Here we go. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. These words describe Israel's restoration to the Lord by the new covenant. And, and, we, and we see that water and spirit is referred to symbolically to spiritual renewal and cleansing. And that's what happens when one is born again, spiritual renewal and cleansing. It's that spiritual transformation that takes a person out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Without the spiritual washing of the soul, a cleansing accomplished only by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, no one can enter, the, enter God's kingdom. God had foretold of this time that would come, and the scholars should have known. Jesus continues, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
In other words, he's trying to get Nicodemus to separate the physical and the spiritual. So just as only human nature can beget human nature, so only the Holy Spirit can affect spiritual transformation. And maybe Nicodemus picked up on this. Even if a physical rebirth were possible, it would produce what? Flesh. Thus, only the spirit can reproduce, can produce the spiritual birth required for the entrance into God's kingdom. You know, from his study, from his study of scripture, Nicodemus should have understood the need for a God-given new birth and God's promise that he would give his people a new heart, a new nature, clean lives, and a full measure of the spirit on the last day. But Nicodemus never thought that God's covenant people needed to be born again. So you see why he was having trouble putting that together? He had a wrong view of what God's given birth was, and that affected what he, what he read in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. He missed the cleansing. He missed the new birth in the text. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it's with everyone who is born of the spirit. Jesus is now, as he was walking Nicodemus through this, drawing an analogy between the wind and the spirit, or more precisely, between the effects of wind and the effects of the spirit. The point is, the wind can be neither controlled nor understood by human beings. But that does not mean we cannot detect the wind's effects. We hear it sound, right? We see the leaves blowing around. I blame the wind for my golf ball going in the woods. We, we see the effects of the wind everywhere. You know, think about when a big storm comes. Man, this wind just comes and is destructive. So it is with the spirit. We can neither control him nor understand him, but that does not mean we cannot witness his effects. We cannot deny the effects of the spirit when he is at work. Where the spirit of God works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. It's like this. When we see the spirit of God work, when we see the effects, what do we say? That's an act of God right there. We can't explain it. That's an act of God. We see the effects of the spirit, but it's still a mystery, mystery to us. And, and that's why we say it is an act of God. So the new birth from above is a mystery. Everyone who is born of the spirit is like the wind. We cannot fully explain or predict either the wind or who is a child of God. We can't explain why the spirit of God did a work in Matt or Mike. Think about that. Both are undeserving. But for some reason. The Spirit has chosen them to be born again. I can't explain it, and we can ponder it till, the, till we are called home. We chalk it up as a miracle. But it's not just those two. It's everyone in here. Why me, Lord? Why me? Can't explain it. You can't explain it. We have to chalk it up as a miracle. Amen? Amen. I was watching the Discovery Channel one time, and they were going into deep details about conception and birth. And this, 
this lady was talking all about all the stuff that has to happen at this precise moment. That's one thing after another. She had a whole list and she's going on and on. And she finally said, it's just a miracle that anybody is ever born. I'm like, it is. You don't know how much truth you just said right there. <laughs> but if you think that's a big miracle, explain how Matt and Mike got saved. Or Jim. Not Pastor Ryan so much. He was pretty holy his whole life. <laughs> it's unbelievable, unexplainable miracle. The point here is man controls neither the wind nor the spirit of God. Both are invisible and mysterious. One more thing before we move out of here. We can hear echoes of Ezekiel 37 here again. Remember, John doesn't quote the scriptures. He just gives us a lot of echoes here. Nicodemus should have already been, been going over uh, Ezekiel's words in his mind, in his mind, because, because of the conversation he's having with Jesus. I mean, he's got to be thinking. He's got to be running uh, the word of God through his mind. But when Jesus used the symbol of wind and water, Nicodemus should have readily remembered Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Ezekiel saw a valley of dead bones, but when he prophesied to the wind, the spirit came and gave the bones life. It was clear that it is the combination of the spirit of God and the word of God that gave life. The spirit of God gives a new life to the dead. The dead bones were given life, born of the spirit. They were born again. These dead bones at one time were born physically. And it was the act of the spirit that gave them life. They were born again. Nicodemus knew this text well. He understood the mysteriousness and the undeniable power of the spirit of God. And Jesus knew that Nicodemus knew this. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the, there it is, the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you did not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You are, quote, the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Ouch. Double ouch. I don't know what you say there. Jesus just explained that man cannot control nor see the spirit of God. He just taught that the spirit is who brings about this new birth. And Nick's response is, how can these things be? I, I bet his head was about to explode there. The teacher of Israel knew the facts recorded in the scriptures, but he could not understand the truth. He knew that Isaiah 32 said that the spirit would be poured upon the people from high. He knew that Ezekiel 36 told of a time that would come when man would be cleansed from his uncleanliness and that the spirit would be put into their hearts. He knew that Joel 2, 2 says that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. The teacher knew the facts recorded in the scripture, but he could not understand the truth. 
It's useless to know facts in the word of God and never understand the truth it holds. There's many people who know a lot of facts there they're in the, that are in the scriptures. Fact, there, is a temp, there was a temple in Jerusalem. Fact, Rome was in control of the land at that time. Fact, Paul killed people and then became an apostle who helped start the church. You can know a lot of facts and not know the truth. You can know that Jesus walked this earth and not understand that he was God incarnate. You can know that Jesus was hung on a cross and not understand that he was paying the price for your sin. You can know that Jesus was dead and buried and not know the truth that on the third day he rose from the grave. You can know that Jesus was a good teacher and not understand that he taught that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life with him in the new heaven and the new earth. You can know a lot of facts and not know the truth. Jesus knows all the facts and he knows all truth. He's omniscient. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So this statement actually tells us why Jesus was uniquely qualified to speak about the heavenly matters or to speak about the spiritual things. His author authoritative message about heaven was based on personal experience. Jesus has a claim that no one has. He came from heaven. He left the glories of heaven. He left his home to rescue us. No other man has that claim. So, you know, don't, don't go out here on the street corner and ask that man about heaven unless he's quoting the word of God. This is how we know about heaven and the spiritual things. Jesus is qualified and he has the authority to speak about spiritual things and heavenly matters. He speaks the truth, and it would be good for all of us to listen. Now, I can only imagine the thoughts that are swirling around in the head of Nicodemus. He, Jesus gives him a statement on who he is and what authority he has, and then Jesus gives him verse 14 to, to maybe, as he keeps walking Nicodemus through this, maybe help him put all this together. Verse 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Another Old Testament reference that was certainly familiar to Nicodemus. This story is in Numbers 2, 21, 4 through 9. It's a story of sin. It's about a nation who has rebelled against God and had to be punished. And here's how God did it. God sent fiery serpents that bit the people and many died. Judgment. That was judgment on a rebellious nation. But in this story, we also see grace. God used Moses to intercede for the people and provide a remedy. He told Moses to make a brass serpent and lift it up on a pole for all to see, for all to see. And any stricken person who looked at the serpent would immediately be healed. Guess what it took to look upon the lifted brass serpent? Faith. It took faith. When the people looked by faith, they were saved. So this is a story about sin, about judgment, about faith, and about grace. 
Something beautiful to see here in John. The verb lifted up has a dual meaning. It means to be crucified, yes. And it means to be glorified and exalted. In this gospel, John points out that our Lord's crucifixion was actually the means of his glorification, John 12. The cross was not the end of his glory. It was the means of his glory, Acts 2, 33. Much as the serpent was lifted up on the pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on a cross. Why? To save us from sin and death. Think about this. The camp of Israel, the solution to killing, quote, their serpent problem, to the killing serpent problem, was not killing the serpents. The solution was not making medicine or pretending that the snakes were not there. They did not pass anti-serpent laws. The answer to the problem was looking by faith at the uplifted serpent. Maybe Nicodemus re remembered Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look upon me and be saved. On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. And a teenage boy was unable to get to the church he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent preacher. His text was Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For many months, this young teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction. But though, even though he had been reared in a church, both his father and grandfather were preachers, he did not have the insurance of salvation. The unprepared substitute minister continued, but he didn't have much to say. So he kept repeating the text. A man need not go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. And about that time, he saw the visitor sitting to one side and he pointed at him and said, young man, you look miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And the young man did look by faith. That young man was Charles Hayden Spurgeon. How did that great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, understand what born again means by faith? He looked upon the lifted up Jesus and he was converted. The difference between perishing and living and between condemnation and salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus could well have come in, to this world as a judge and destroyed every rebellious sinner. But in love, he came to this world as our savior and he died for us on the cross. He became the uplifted serpent. The serpent in Moses' day brought physical life to dying Jews, but Jesus Christ gives life to anyone who trusts in him. He has salvation for the whole world. Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here's the point. 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The story in Numbers, the perishing Israelites looked upon the lifted up snake and lived. Today, salvation happens when we look up to Jesus, believing he will save us. The one who believes, the ones who believe in Jesus is spared eternal destruction and given eternal life. It is a new life that involves God's life. These are the ones who are born again. For the ones who are born again, for the ones who believe, 1 Peter 1.22 says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And so we'll close today with where we began. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to what? Be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who's by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, its, through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, not now not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if you don't know that you know that you are born again, well, follow the light that God has given you today. Follow it to the truth of Jesus Christ and put your eyes upon him.